0: Welcome to the Nicholas and Tally Show, where we chat with entrepreneurs, experts, and entertainers to help you live a more fulfilling life and take your business to the next level. This week on the podcast, we have Darrell Williams. Darrell has a leadership background that includes 30 years of federal service, highlighted by his selection as a White House Communications Agency All-Star and Senior Manager of the Year. He has had a stellar 20-year military career where he traveled as an operations and vice presidential communications officer, leading over 500 White House missions. Following the tragedies of September 11, 2001, Darrell was selected as one of five key leaders from 30 senior managers to direct emergency action communications for the Vice President of the United States to include duties as an Air Force Two Command Representative. If you're not connected with me on Instagram, at Nicholas Itali, please do so. I'm posting valuable content on there every single day. Riddle of the week, how did the hipster burn his tongue? Stay tuned to the end of the episode to find out. This episode was mixed and mastered by the one the only, The Grant Singer. If you'd like Grant to audio engineer your podcast and music, click the link to singerville.com in the show notes or reach out to him on Instagram, Grant E Singer. That's his handle. That was the intro. Now here is the episode. Hello and welcome. This is the Nicholas Itali Show. I'm your host, Nicholas Itali. Today we have a very special guest, Darrell Williams. Darrell, season's greetings. How you doing, Nicholas? I'm doing great. I'm very excited to have you on. And here's where I want to start. You grew up on 121, 121st East Raymond Street in Compton, California, true. which I believe is on the crip side of Compton. And while you're growing up, Compton was the fourth most dangerous city in the country at that time. And it's notorious for its gang affiliation. It was. How would you describe your upbringing? And how is your relationship with the environment around you?
1: Hey, again, first of all, thanks for having me. Um, you're exactly right. Uh, growing up on that side, and those that may not be familiar, um, California. If you ever watched the movie Boys in the Hood, uh, that's kind of the environment that I grew up in. So when Nicholas made the comment about Crip neighborhood, you're like, "What is that?" If you watch that movie, you kind of get a general idea of kind of two different groups there: Crips and Bloods, territorial and things of that nature. Gang violence, selling drugs, and Uh, The environment, it was just really different. But the funny thing is, when you're growing up in it, Nicholas, you don't realize that. All you know is okay, these are the areas I have to avoid. These are the people I need to be careful of. Mm -hmm. Uh, Make sure if I go visit somebody after dark, I better know where I am. And you just find yourself adapting to that environment. And, you know, my relationship with the environment actually was pretty good because if nothing else, it just taught me a lot of mental toughness and a whole
0: lot of situational awareness. (laughs) Yeah. What do you think played the biggest impact on the mental toughness aspect of it? I
1: I think a lot of it is when you're growing up in the inner city, um, you just cannot, you know, even if you are, you can't present yourself as being soft, right? You just have to Mm -hmm. make sure that you have a certain type of uh, awareness Um, Everybody knows everybody's not, you know, in a gang at that time, but at least you have to stand for something. Right. And whatever that is, you know, whatever your values are, you just have to be strong, in them. because one thing I found out was even though I wasn't drawn to a lot of the negative stuff, those that were respected the fact that, hey, this guy kind of walks the walk, talks the talk and what he believes in, and for that, you know, nothing but respect.
0: Nice. So what was your perception of the gang activity of that time and how did you interact with him? Because it sounds like you were standing for something contrary to what <laughs> what they were going with.
1: You're exactly right. And what I found and, and the same thing I do now, even throughout my military career, my government
0: career, it's all about building relationships.
1: Mm. And I always used to joke around Nicholas that I was fortunate in high school because i was friends with the smart kids right i was friends with the athletes and i was friends with the gangsters so i had a different relationship with all those different groups um i never looked down on any particular one i never looked at myself higher than any particular group but just when i was around certain people i knew these are the type of questions i'll ask these are the conversations i would go through and um it was just one of those things where you just become aware. And again, I think it was a lot of just the fact that I could flow in those different directions allowed me to you know, travel in some circles that some of the other kids could not.
0: Yeah, your ability to adapt and be personable with those different people, almost like a, not a chameleon, but your ability to be able to interact with any sort of person. I think that's a huge skill and asset. I wanna ask you about a very specific time. Sure. You attended Compton High, and in order to keep the peace, your principal initiated something called lunchtime jams. I hope I have that name correct. You're correct. You had a you had a friend named DJ Mix a lot, and you would rap. And I wanna know about the times outside of School where DJ mix a brought you along so you could rap. What were those those times like? Man,
1: I can tell you. At that time, it was the best because you have to think about it. Here's a junior in high school right? Sometimes you're struggling for friends and, you know, those type of things. But that was not the problem with me because I was center stage with my friend uh, mix a you know, that was his DJ name. His real name was Norman Parker. So, Norman, if you ever hear this, thank you, man, for mm-hmm. bringing me along. But, you know, again, we had a lot of challenges at the high school. So the principal brought on, you know, a DJ and a couple of us with rap just to keep the peace. And, Again, a lot of these people went to Compton High, but they lived in different parts of Compton. So Norman would get a lot of requests to say, hey, can you come DJ our block party? Can you DJ my birthday party or whatever the case was? And, you know, carrying that equipment at that time, you know, wasn't all digital like it is now. So we actually had to help him carry the records, carry the speakers, you know, set it up. But it was great because, again, I was fortunate enough to go through a lot of different parts of Compton that some people could not go to. So for me, it was almost like a mini celebrity. It was like, okay, you were the DJ. Yep, got it. You have a pass for that night. Yeah, now, yeah. even though I was able to rap and, you know, all those good things, but the pass, Nicholas, was only good for that night. Do not <laughs> try to come over here the next day because your pass has expired. So it was great just to go to all the different venues, you know, all over, not just Kanto really all over L.A., um, because he was known uh, throughout the area, so uh, to me it was an honor just to be a part of that.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, that sounds like such a fun experience and something you'll probably hold on to for a long time. Yes. Fast forwarding a little bit, well, kind of fast forwarding. I know now that you are a big proponent of finding a mentor to help guide guide us through life. You know, having somebody that we can turn to to help us make those big decisions. When you were growing up, was there someone that took you under their wing? And if there is, how did that person impact you? How did mentorship impact your life?
1: Oh, no, absolutely. Um, two people, really, when I think about, you know, a mentor at that time. Um, one was I had an older cousin named Daryl Wayne, who was actually a DJ, right? And he also did a lot of uh, financial type things and just talk with him you know you have that older cousin that's really serious about life and you're not even trying to get there but yet he's asking those yes. questions to yeah. make you just think about it and sometimes it was annoying but i knew it's what he was trying to say like hey there's a the whole world out here you know what are you going to do i know you like this i never forget he said i know you like this rap thing but that's not going to make any money so you need to look at something <laughs> serious and I, I listened to him because he was right about that i didn't have that passion for it the way some other people were. And then I had another cousin who really impacted me as a mentor. His name was Cleo Taylor. Cleo, if you hear this, I always tell you, man, thanks for bringing me over on the weekends. Um, He was an accountant. And, you know, just to see somebody, you know, a little bit close to my age in a professional role, right, Beautiful home, beautiful family, nice cars, um, and then he would allow me and my other cousin Bobby to come over on the weekends. Not every weekend, but a lot of weekends. And I'm telling you, Nicholas, just hanging around him, right? Hearing the way he talked, the questions that he would ask us, and it never was like a judgment, but it was more of, so what would you do to get a house like this? You know what? What background do you think you know favors you for a career down the road and I mean, those times, again, you don't realize it then, but looking back over it, it was just the best thing that could have happened to me because they really were, like you said, my first mentors to kind of really just show you that, hey, there's a different
0: world out there. I love that you you mentioned too, it's like you've mentioned a relationship, you know, it's like Mm -hmm. you're hanging out and you're asking questions and you're having a conversation. It's not a, it doesn't always have to be a formal mentorship where it's like, Hey, I'm going to be your mentor. You know, it's like, come over, let's hang out and let's talk about life together, which I think is a huge Um, proponent of mentorship.
1: So true. So you are so right about that. And I always kind of share with people, you know, when they're looking at wanting to give back to the community, always, you know, kind of remind them like there's always organizations that are looking for mentors, whether it's, you know, Big Brothers, Boys and Girls Club, you know, any of those type of things. And, And to me, those are one of the easier ways to give back. Uh, because you've already walked a certain walk, right? You've done a lot of things and now you recognize, hey, that was me 20 years ago. So, you know, I would not have went to me in a certain way because I wouldn't have listened. So now I know which approach to use. And like you said, just being there. I always call it the gift of presence.
0: Yeah, everybody has life experience. Everybody has something to share, you know, and I I think there's probably some Many reasons why people are maybe a little hesitant to find themselves in a mentor role is because of that imposter syndrome. I don't have anything to offer when, in fact, yes! I don't think that's true, right?
1: You're so right about that. We all have something to offer. I think we just have to not look at comparing ourselves to others as it relates to success, but just comparing ourselves to where we were 5, 10, 15 years ago. And if you've grown from those situations, you're ready to be a mentor.
0: Yeah. Our presence is enough. Yeah. All right. I want to ask you about... Your mom, I know your mom was a woman of faith. And how did her faith have an impact on you growing up? Because I imagine that probably plays a significant part in how you're able to say that that path is not quite for me. I'm going to do something else.
1: No, you're right. Um, Again, growing up, um, my mom would take us to church a lot. And again, early on, did not want to be there. Right. Sundays, 10 o'clock, the games are coming on. And I'm like, what is this church thing I got (laughs) to go do? Right. Nobody else is going to church. But I tell you, it uh, paid off big dividends because, you know, it taught me a lot of things about, again, really discipline, uh, you know, having, you know, whether people have a faith or values, because it strengthened my values, right? It kind of, you know, showed me this is how you want to treat people, Mm -hmm. right? This is how people want, need to be treated, whether they do it to you or not, you know, kind of that golden rule thing and, you no, know, just hearing those type of lessons. And one thing I liked about our church at the time, it wasn't, you know, like I was like preachy as much as let's just talk about life. How does this apply to life skills and how could this help you in your journey? And that really set, again, man, an awesome foundation for me that I was able to carry um, all the way, you know, into the military and even, you know, to my life now. of Just this is how I carry myself. This is how I treat people. And it was just one of those things that you don't realize that you look back on and you're like, wow, that was really a great time. Because, again, if you're walking the walk and talking the talk, I found that a lot of my peers, even though I would get, you know, a lot of jokes and people would make fun of me. It's like, oh, there's a guy that wears ties. Right. Mm -hmm. But underneath that, it was still a certain amount of respect because the guy's consistent. Right. He's not doing one thing, but saying something else or vice versa. He's really trying to be this, you know, model person. And again, I always tell the story, people are like, well, you know, what were you in high school? And I was like, the best way I can tell you is when the guys used to shoot dice and they needed somebody to hold the money, I was a guy <laughs> and they would say, let him hold the money because him I trust.
0: <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> Man, that's such a, that's such a, Good point, too, of how integrity alone is leadership. Just having integrity makes you a leadership in almost all social circumstances. So true. It's wonderful.
1: Great point, Nick. That's a great point.
0: That's awesome. So here I have another little bit of comparison for myself, at least. I grew up in Victorville. Oh, yeah. I (laughs) want to know if this is the same for you. So in when growing up in Victorville, there's almost like this time frame that if you don't make it out of Victorville by a certain time frame, you're gonna be there for the rest of your life. Mm. And I wonder if it's the same for Compton and also since you made it out of Compton, what was your deciding factor in I'm gonna branch out I'm gonna get out of here
1: Right, no, that's a great question. First part, um, yes. Um, there was definitely that stigma that if you didn't make it out of Compton or if you didn't do a certain type of thing, then you definitely could fall prey to the environment and not realize that there's a bigger world out there. And for me, uh, two things. One, I had a um, gentleman or a friend that was in my neighborhood named Roderick Goldman. We used to call him Rod very smart. I mean, it was like everybody knew, even the gangsters, it was like Rod is going to college. No, we don't know about anybody else, but we know (laughs) Rod is going to college, right? And it was just the way he carried himself, right? I mean, just a really good guy. And he ended up getting a full ride to USC. So, I mean, to this day, he's still like a legend, you know, because for our neighborhood to see somebody come out like that and do well, uh, it really meant a lot. So, um, For me to see somebody like that, right, it made you think like, okay, if he can do it and there's definitely something else out there. But the challenge, Nicholas, even though I was smart and they would call me Little Rod, I wasn't as smart as Rod. (laughs) So Mm. I think the aha moment came for me. It was um, my junior year going into my senior year uh, during the summer. I ran into an Army recruiter. And I was trying to avoid this guy. I mean, I knew a little bit about the Army, but not a lot, Nicholas. And yeah. he was like, hey, what are you going to do when you get out of high school? And I'm like, uh, I don't know, go to college, right, just to blow him off. And this guy was prepared. He was like, oh, what college are you going to go to? Yeah. And I said, um, I don't know, University of Arkansas. And I don't know what book they had at that time. But he opened up this book, and it had, like, University of Arkansas, this is how much it costs for a four-year degree, this is how much it costs for a graduate degree, and just something just snapped in me, like, holy smokes, all those talks with Daryl Wayne and Cleo Taylor and, you know, the thing that Rod was about to get into was like, you know, this is my aha moment. And once I kind of realized, I like, hey, life is about to get serious here. I need to really pay attention. You know, I asked a recruiter. It's like a whole mindset change. I was like, hey, tell me a little bit more about the Army. Yeah, and, right. you know, once you start talking about it, you get to travel right? Uh, they can pay for your college. Uh, you get a free 30-day paid vacation, right? I'm like, <laughs> wait a minute. That's how, pretty many good benefit. Eight, right? how many 18-year-olds can <laughs> say that, right? And yeah. then, you know, with four of us in our family, and I'm the oldest, so again, you have that syndrome of You know, you want to do right by being the oldest because you don't want, you know, the younger siblings to see like, okay, Darrell screwed up and I can screw up. (laughs) Like, I don't want that. And it was just again a pivotal moment in my life. Man, I I just wish if I could do anything else earth, man, I wish I could find that recruiter and thank him. Because everything I've done, all of my successes, I mean, I really can, you know, pin it to him, you know, being consistent and really talking to me and not like, oh, OK, this guy doesn't want to listen. So let me go find somebody else.
0: Yeah, he was persistent and it sounded like he, <laughs> he knew what was up when it came to college and, you know, all the benefits of the Army. When you got into the Army, did you experience any culture shock? Was it Because I imagine it's a very different environment.
1: It was. Um, definitely everything that all the movies talk about and things like that, um, it's definitely a culture shock. But I can tell you it's the best culture shock that anyone could have. Because I still think about, you know, how do you grab all these sons and daughters of America, as we call them, right? Break them into this institution, strip them down. Right. Mm As far as what you think, you know, and how you think about yourself and then you build them back up with a sense of purpose, a sense of there's something bigger than you. And guess what? You're not going to make it out of basic training without teamwork. I mean, it was just like, I don't care how fast you are, how strong you are, how smart you are. You know, we're going to pair you up with somebody. And you know, you're Nicholas, that's what they would call your battle buddy, right? And Nicholas is your battle buddy. Wherever Nicholas goes, you better be there. Wherever you go, Nicholas better be there. And in the beginning, it's like, what the heck is this going on? Why is this so important? But as you start going through it, I mean, just this natural friendship of Nicholas, you okay, you you ready, you prepare for the next class? You know, I mean, it really created Again, just one of the best leadership concepts that I've ever learned, which is um, you're, you're better in twos. You're better together. Mm. Um, you're better when you're looking out after somebody else instead of trying to be selfish.
0: What do you think plays into it? What, what part of the dynamic makes us better together? Why am I not faster, better, stronger on my own?
1: I think a lot of it is, one, because of our environments. Like we had some kids that were great athletes, right? We had some kids that were just really smart students, but they didn't have you know the resources to go to college. So they wanted to do something different. So I think when you go to any of those type of places, you automatically start thinking about what's my own personal strength, right? What am I going to depend on, right? I already heard this drill sergeant is going to get in my face and all these people you know, that I don't know. Right, you're gonna challenge me. So you thought anyway. Yeah. You know, so you yeah. just revert back to what you think it's almost like survival mode. Like I'm in basic training, I'm trying to survive the drill sergeants, I'm trying to survive the army, I'm trying to survive, you know, all these guys in my bunk, in my group, to show that I belong here. So I think um the, the all the military services, they just do such a great job of really um just instilling in you as smart as you are, you can be smarter right? As strong as you are, you can be stronger. And you start buying into that, especially after you start doing like 50 push push-ups, and you're like, okay, this is not working. Obviously what I thought was going to survive and help me is not. So let me do what they're talking about. And then you start seeing how it starts working. And then it's funny because you still have a couple of guys that kind of like, you know, forget this. I'm going to still be myself. I'm going to be on my own. And eventually The system and the environment wears those people down where they realize I have to be a part of this group because now everybody else is going to make it and I'm not going to make
0: it. And that's a huge testimony to or testament to community in general. Yes. At the end of the day, we're all going to try to do this thing on our own and then find ourselves, man, I need other people. Like I need to be in community of people that support me and encourage me or at least tell me, hey, you're going off on your own and it's not working out. You know, like we're here to help. So, I think that's that's very true.
1: Absolutely. And then what was so great about this, now think about it, this is like 1984, right? And I used to tell a lot of people some of the best conversations we had, Nicholas, was at night. Because you got to think about it, you know, you got guys from Compton, Detroit, Chicago, Oklahoma, Iowa, Kansas, right? Yeah. We had the best conversations at night because people were honest. I mean, that's another thing, it created an honest Uh, open environment where it was like, hey, these are your battle buddies. This is your platoon, your squad. You're going to be with these guys for the next eight, nine nine weeks. So you better get to know everything about them, right? And um, it was just great, like talking to people like, hey, this is the first time, you know, you're ever with somebody that wasn't your race, right? This is the first time you ever been around African-Americans. And everybody was honest, but it wasn't a sense of, I knew you guys were racist or I knew you guys didn't like that. It was just, a learning environment of, hey, tell me about your neighborhood. Tell me about your background. Tell me about what did you do on the weekends? And it was the best conversations that I've ever had because it, you know, got rid of a lot of stereotypes. It got rid of a lot of myths. It allowed us to understand and appreciate, right, our battle buddies. It's like, wow, you know, this guy grew up without his mom. This guy grew up without his dad, right? He was, like raising his brothers and sisters pretty much on his own with his grandparents. So you just had this different respect of everybody's background and where they came from. And then now you were determined like, hey, I'm gonna make sure that if you're not good in push-ups, i want to work with you to do push-ups. If you're not good at firing a weapon, I'm gonna help you with that because your success is my success.
0: Sounds like it was real. Like it was it was real and you're getting to break down those barriers. Have you been able to find a way to emulate stirring up those kinds of conversation among people? Because it sounds really valuable.
1: It it is. Uh, One of the ways I used to do that when I was a youth worker, and I would take uh, the kids off on these weekend uh, youth retreats, right? And I would not try to put a whole lot of structure to it. And if it was a place that already had structure, it was fine. But in the evenings, right, I would definitely throw, you know, some of those type of topics out there on the floor, like, hey, guys, let's talk about such and such. And they would think I would talk about you know, I'm going to bring up something about the Bible or something like that. No, no, no. We're not even going to talk about that. We're going to talk about life. And when you start bringing up just a topic of what, was, what does survival mean to you, man, I'm telling you, everybody can identify because it's like nobody in my school has ever asked me this, right? Nobody else has ever asked me that. Finally, I get to talk about something that I knew they were struggling with, but you put it in an open environment and then I go first right? Here's what survival was to me growing up in confidence, what survival was to me growing up in the military. And then since I made myself vulnerable, it allowed them to be vulnerable and it just opened up some great dialogue.
0: Yeah. Wow. So it's almost starting with the being the example, being one, being willing to have those conversations on typically topics um, many people shy away from. And then two, saying, I'll go first. Yes. I'll be the first to open the door and let this conversation in. Yeah, that's awesome. Hello, friends. This is Nicholas Titale, And as you know, each week I try to bring you absolute fat bangers of episodes. If you enjoy them, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts Then send this episode to two of your friends that you think would enjoy it. Lest we forget, this episode was professionally mixed and mastered by Grant Singer. If you'd like Grant to audio engineer your podcast or music, reach out to him on Instagram at Grant Singer. His handle will be in the show notes or you can reach out to him at singerville.com. All right. Back to the episode. What do you think was one of your biggest takeaways from those conversations during basic training? I think the
1: biggest thing really we found out that although we grew up in different parts of the United States, we all had more things in common than we did not in common, right? Everybody associated with some type of family. Everybody associated with some type or part of a dysfunctional family, right? Everybody talked about, you know, not having resources and wanting to start a whole new path, right, for their family members. And um, it was just awesome because, again, you realize, hey, even though, you know, so-and-so grew up in Iowa, I can relate to what he's talking about on Friday nights, wanting to do something, wanting to have fun, and then, like, having one of your friends, right? You know, even though in the inner city, people may die a different way, but people still die in other parts outside of the inner city. And that hurt, right? It's still there. Like, man, how did you deal with losing your best friend or losing your mom, right? So those type of things brought us together.
0: Yeah, it's the it's the vulnerability and being honest about. that's You know, another thing is like as men in general, dealing mm-hmm. with pain is oh. often referred to as just push it down and, and don't talk about it. Yeah, so like that, that's a whole other aspect to it.
1: So true. So true. But like you said, creating that safe space and... You know, everybody not trying to play the tough role and being honest. And, and some guys, it took a little while. Like, like, hey, I'm not getting in this conversation yet. I may go last, right? Yeah. <laughs> but eventually, yeah. you felt the presence of, man, these guys are really putting out, you know, like who they really are and what their challenges are. It's like, how can I
0: not be a part of that? Yeah, that's awesome. And then here's what I know about your timeline. Okay. You get through basic training, and you tell me if I'm correct or wrong, but then you immediately get deployed to Germany into a mailing warehouse, which probably wasn't what you were expecting, My guess, unloading trucks. How'd you feel about receiving that job and how'd you respond?
1: Oh man, you are so right on that. So in the military, just like a lot of other companies, there's this part that says, and duties as a sign, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. So I went in as a human resources uh, individual, right? Expert and, or specialist. And what happens is under human resources, there's a lot of other different jobs you can do. And one of them is working in a post office. And you get this, they call it an identifier, which is F5, right? So I was sending one Lima, F5. So at first it was like, okay, I'm going to Germany. I'm going to Kaiserslautern. And you tell them i going to work in this post office or postal unit, as they said. I go, okay, I can sell some stamps, right? I can put together some registry books and uh Register packages, like, man, I can, matter of fact, if I get out of the Army, I can just go work for the post office and I'm good. Yeah. Wasn't the case, Nicholas. They said, <laughs> no, 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 no. Some of you are going to be selling stamps, some of you will be working at a registry area, and then some of you will be working on the actual warehouse floor, which I did. And then they had two shifts, right? It was a shift, which was five in the morning to noon, and then it was my shift, which was one o'clock right to eight o'clock at night. Oof. Yeah, it was it was uh, rigorous. So, and now working wear out floor means when all these large container trucks are coming in, guess who's offloading most of those trucks? Even if they come in at eleven o'clock, right? A shift <laughs> is leaving that for B shift because you just know yeah. that's what you guys are going to do. And in the beginning, I'm not going to lie, it was like tough to pill to swallow. It was like, wait a minute, I didn't sign up for this. Yeah, I'm not doing what I thought I was going to do. And then just one of those things where you just had to. I was like a really good look at myself like, okay, you can sit here and complain for three years and it'll be the most miserable time in your life. Yeah. Or you can make the best of this, You know, kind of see that glass half full instead of half empty and see where that takes you. And I took the half glass half full approach and it was so funny because some of the people that are already on the shift. was like, yeah, that excitement is going to last all with about 30 days. And then once you realize yeah. that you're not going anywhere, you're, yeah. you're going to be like us. Yeah. But I just had that determination, Nicholas, like, hey, man, I'm going to make this fun. Right. Some of the guys, we had to pitch mail. So it was like, hey, I bet you I can pitch my bundle faster than you. It's like, I know what you're trying to yeah. do. Stop. But guess what, Nicholas? <laughs> Stop
0: making this fun. <laughs> right.
1: Right. Because the competitive juices started yeah. kicking in and they didn't want to lose to this rookie. Yeah. Right. And um, it was just one of those things that I made the best out of, it, not realizing that I was learning, really, how to motivate people. But it started with self-motivation. right? I had to motivate myself before I could motivate anybody else. And it was just one of those things where the shift work became fun, right? And it just started you know, blending into other things where now the shift was, you know, like, hey, let's go to breakfast together right? Hey, let's go do this together. So it brought, again, a sense of unity that wasn't there before. And um, I'm really glad that I, you know, had that approach because it definitely could have went in a different direction.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, I, I think many people find themselves in circumstances that are not ideal or maybe not mm-hmm. even what they anticipated it would be, right? right. And it's, it's the self-destruction begins just from our attitudes. And you know, how simple of a change was it for you to be able to be like, you know, I'm going to I'm going to make this fun. I'm going to do this right. And how other people caught on, you know, it's very telling as to like, people don't want to be miserable. You know, they want <laughs> right. to have fun.
1: Right. Great point. That is a great point. If you can do it. And then some of the guys came up with better games than I had. I mean, they came up with <laughs> their own little games. Right. And I was like, OK, hey, let's just try it. You know.
0: Yeah, it was great. <laughs> That's awesome. And then it caught on. Ed, the part of this story that I really like is, and once again, tell me if I'm on the right track here, is you take on this mindset of, I'm going to do well in this job. And then somebody recognizes you for it and sees potential in you. So when it's time for you to move, they say, No, I got bigger plans for you. What was going on? What happened?
1: Wow. So that was another amazing shift in my life, right? So when in the military, they have what they call these competition boards. Right, where basically they're testing, you know, your soldier knowledge, right? Because that's all a part of your growing as a leader. And one of the, again, a mentor, Staff Sergeant Rivera, I asked him when I first got there, like, hey, I got these mosquito wings on. How do I get those big rockers that you have, right? And he was like, you know, hey, you got to shine your boots, right? You got to press your uniform. And you need to go to these competition boards where people can recognize you. Didn't really understand it all because, like, you do know I work on the warehouse floor, right? So why would I shine <laughs> my boots, <laughs> knowing that they're going to get dirty within like ten minutes? But he was basically telling me at that time, Nicholas, like you have to set yourself apart from everybody else. You have to show discipline. You got to show other people that you're you're different and you want something different. Mm-hmm. And as I started going to these competition boards, I won soldier of the month, soldier of the quarter, soldier of the region. Right. And then I ended up going for soldier of the year. And even though I lost. Right. Came in second place. One of the senior leaders, which at that time was a command sergeant major, had recognized that I was on a couple of those boards. And he was like, man, this guy is like no kidding. He's really trying to do something. Yeah. And I remember this is in Frankfurt, Germany. And he was coming to Kaiserslautern within a couple of weeks. He said, hey, Special Williams, when you um, when I come to Kaiserslautern, I need you to make sure that you come see me. Right. And I'm like, okay, Sergeant Major. And when he gets there, he's taking one of his breaks. He makes sure that I come into his little holding room or whatever, and we're talking. He's like, so what do you want to do with the rest of your life? And I'm like, hey, I already have assignment. I'm going to Fort Hood, Texas. I know that for me to make it in this army, I got a soldier, and I'm ready to go soldier. Mm -hmm. And that's when he said, "Uh, you know what? I think you can make it in a different area. He said, I'm thinking I'm going to change your order to send you to the Pentagon. And it was like, what are you talking about, Sergeant Major? Why am I going to the Pentagon? People don't soldier in the Pentagon, right? Yeah. They don't do those things that, you know, I've been taught, right, that I have to go and prove myself and go to the toughest places, right? And he really educated me, Nicola, because he was saying, there's you know, this thing in the military called special assignments. It's across all the services. Not everybody can go because it takes, you know, different type of um, skill set, um, and you have to be a little bit more polished, a little more self-disciplined. He said, but I think you can do that. And even though I really did not want to go, I had to respect this higher-ranking guy and say, okay. So I if you say so, you know, I'll do it. So I changed my orders. I go to the Pentagon. I'm there, and I just didn't like it, right? And I think the reason I didn't like it because in the back of my mind, I kept thinking Nicholas that everybody is in a regular army unit. They're going past me. They're doing more than me. Mm. All right, I need to hurry up and get back to that, so I don't fall behind my peers. That was my mindset, and I remember there was an MP company actually in the DC area, and I tried to go get my uh, commanding officer at the time to sign this paperwork so I can leave. Look how dumb this was, right? So I can leave the Pentagon and go to a regular MP company, yeah, and he's like do you not understand that the assignment that you're at is higher than the MP company? And I just couldn't understand at the time. And so he obviously recommended disapproval. And I was so upset. I was like, sir, why are you holding me back? You know, why are you yeah, keeping yeah. me from reaching <laughs> my full potential? And I was just naive. Nicholas, that's just the bottom line. I had no idea of the level that I was already in. And I use that when I go talk to kids, sometimes at the schools, I said, sometimes you gotta look at where you are. Cause sometimes We want to leave what's uncomfortable to go to what's comfortable. Mm -hmm. And the key is a lot of time when you go through the uncomfortable, it takes you to a a different level.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's a necessity. It almost seems like you have to find yourself being uncomfortable in, in any case or else, you know, maybe that's maybe that's an indicator you're in the right place if you're uncomfortable, right? Mm-hmm. For certain things, right? If growth yes. is actually occurring,
1: yes, right. You're right. You're exactly
0: right. So tell me more about this this Pentagon scenario where you. I imagine there's a point where you come to accept that. Okay, I get it. This is this is the place that I'm supposed to be at. How would you start finding your footing?
1: So Nicholas, I wish I could be honest and tell you that I did, but I can tell you that I did not. <laughs> I still was trying to. I still was trying to get out. I was trying to look for a different ways. And uh, it got to the point, it was one day, one of my friends and I, we saw this advertising for the White House Communications Agency. And again, trying to get out of something, right? Like, okay, we've worked hard all week, different type of work. They're like, man, this interview is on a Friday. So guess what? If we go to this 10 o'clock interview, finish by 11, we can be off for the rest of the day and start our weekend early yeah so so again i'm not even thinking about you know staying at the pentagon as much as how do i you know find another route and it really came down to just trying to get a day off so i ended up going to this recruiting um event for the White House medication agency never knew anything about the organization didn't really care because again it had white house in front of it so i just figured okay it'll be good just to go and you know, go yeah. through it, but I tell you, when we finished, all I thought about was, "Hey, we're all for the rest of the day. What do you want to do?" Yeah. Had yeah. no clue, Nicholas, about what I actually did until, you know, a couple of months later, he uh, he gets a notice that says he wasn't selected, and then yeah. I get one that says I was selected, and I'm like, "Holy yeah. smokes! Okay, now what was that again? What did yeah. what did they ask me? What am I getting yeah. into?" It was a whole different scenario and. That's when things got real. It was like, okay, I to start paying attention because I'm going now from the Pentagon to the White House. I don't know what I'm getting into, <laughs> but I'm I'm figuring it's got to be something pretty special. And probably if you don't cut the mustard, they let you go. So now my mindset is, if I'm going to this place, I better do well because again, I can't let my community down. Right, I can't let my family down. I, I better figure this out uh, rather quickly.
0: Yeah, and it seems like you did because I'm gonna I'm gonna jump around a little bit. We'll sure, jump sure. around to to a little bit further. So you traveled as an operations and vice presidential communications officer leading over 500 White House missions. And what I really want to hear about is the time after 9-11 when you were appointed to direct emergency action communications for the vice president. Walk me through that mission and also what it meant to support such a public facing mission. You know, that one's that one's out there.
1: It was. It it definitely was. So I was fortunate. Right. I had two different assignments at the White House Communications Agency. And basically, for those that don't know, the White House Communications Agency is a military organization um, that supports the president, the vice president, Secret Service and staff, and, you know, others assigned, right, by providing the communication support. So you have, like, Secret Service, White House staff, and then you have us, uh, which is the communications piece. So the first part with the operations lead, I was kind of like, you always hear like a first sergeant, I was like a first sergeant on the road. There was a communications officer in charge. And then I was kind of like that first sergeant. And this is, you know, back in the day, Nicholas. So I'm paying for everybody's rooms. I'm paying for everybody's uh, cars. Um, I'm, I'm going ahead of the team, trying to make sure that we can set up everything. And, uh, and even when we traveled overseas, right, I would go and meet with the embassy reps. And it was just an amazing, amazing job. And I tell you, this is when, the light bulb came on about what the Sergeant Major was trying to tell me. It was like these type of assignments, everybody doesn't get into. Right. And then when you get here, you still got to perform. So again, I just made sure when I got there, I found some mentors and people that I thought like, Hey, you seem pretty squared away. Can you tell me how to succeed in a place like this, in this environment? And um, as the operations lead travel supporting the president, it was great. I did it for about six years. And it's so funny, Nicholas, I'm starting to see a theme here that I'm talking to you. After six years, I'm like, okay, maybe I need to go back and get my boots dirty again. So I call my detailer and say, hey, um, I'm ready to leave WACA, is what they call it. If you got an assignment overseas, I'd love to take that assignment. And the guy was like, wait a minute. So you want to leave the White House and you want me to pick your assignment for you going overseas? I'm like, yeah. He's like, okay. first of all, are you in trouble? Are you trying to yeah. run from something? I'm like, no, nope, no, nope, yeah. I'm not in trouble. I'm, I'm leaving on good terms. I just wanted to make sure I get back out there. And he did me a favor. He said, "Tell you what, when you get that type of clearance, it's hard to replace somebody like you. So, I'm going to send you to a place where I always get people retiring on me. If you can do that job for me <laughs> for a year, I'll bring you back to the White House." And I was like, "You don't know, have to do that." You know, I feel confident in my skills and abilities. I can soldier anywhere. It's like, yeah, you probably could. However, with that clearance, I'm not going to waste it. So I went to Korea for a year, loved it, did some great things there. It brought me back. When I came back, I was, you know, a different rank, right? I was uh, called Sergeant First Class, E7 at the time, senior at NCO. And those individuals, support the vice president just like the president. only difference is now I am the communications officer. I'm not the first on the road. I'm the first sergeant and communications officer. It's all in one. Smaller teams, but still the same concept. And it was just one of the best challenges that anybody could have because you got this whole trip where the vice president is coming and you have to make it happen. Yes, you're in charge of the team. you know they're gonna set up the communication but you have to work all the logistics, you have to order the phone lines and you know, all those different things at that time. And a lot of that support was for the you know vice president when he traveled, and we found out after nine eleven, hey, we need to set something up from an emergency action perspective. So I was one of five people chosen we ran through some emergency-type training. And once you finished, they're kind of like, okay, you are now a communications response officer. Go forth and do good things. Yeah. And, and it was only five of us, right? And I'm like, okay, definitely. We learned it off of each other. And to me, I would tell people, like, man, I don't know how they did it, but I think I was the fifth one out of all the four because the other ones had, to me, in my mindset, they had a great communication background. I was an HR guy, but I was good at leadership. So this role was a little bit of leadership, communications, right, planning, leading, all those types of things. And um, part of that job was you know, we were riding a motorcade, and we would also ride on Air Force Two. And like you said, for your original question, what was it like? And it was a challenge because, again, if you make a mistake, right, um, everybody knows. It's not like you got this whole team behind you that says, hey, br- bring me, you know, Console number five, right? Because yeah. Console number three and four are blue. It was like, if you don't have it, you're going to have to order it. <laughs> so it taught me a sense of urgency. It taught me um, even greater teamwork because I was only as strong as my team. So I had to make sure that you know we're all on the same sheet of music. And I always tell them, you know, hey, I'm just here to run interference. You tell me what you need, right, to set up what you need to set up to knock down any roadblocks. And that's how I know we're going to be
0: successful. I love that. And I want to kind of touch on the leadership part of it, too, because you're a huge proponent of strong leadership. I've heard you mention that there isn't a problem that cannot be solved with strong leadership. So you coordinated, I'm going to toot your horn a little bit more here, you coordinated travel logistics equipment arrangements for over 500 team members at one point and resulting in... 100% mission support, and 0% loss of equipment before. And that, to me, the fact that no equipment was lost is outstanding. I lose equipment just doing one podcast. So (laughs) what's the most important aspect to your leadership style that you would contribute a a lot of your success to in that area?
1: No, that's a great point. And I think for me, one of the things that I've learned over the years um, it's really that team concept, right? It's Guess what? Not only are we here to do this trip and make it work, but like if you're a radio lead or if you're a SATCOM lead, you know, my job is to help you become the best SATCOM lead, the best radio lead that you can be, right, while we're on this trip. So that means I'm going to pick your brain. And it's almost like I would have them teach me what they were great at. And then I would flip it, Nicholas, and say, What is it about my job that you need me to do? Right. To make you successful. What happens if I don't do X? Like, what's the biggest thing that I could mess up that would affect you? And as they're telling me these things, hey, you know, don't forget this. You know, give us, you know, this thing. You know, this is why we need X. They were teaching me. But at the same time, I was pulling the best out of them. Right. So it was always that give and take type of scenario. Right. Um, And the other thing I would like to do is with the equipment piece, I would always make it a game. Right. It was one of those like, OK, who can offload the truck the fastest? Who can set up their office the fastest? Right. First one finished. I'm, I'm ordering pizza. Right. And so you start worrying less about equipment loss and you start worrying more about, hey, I want I want to be the first dibs on the pizza. <laughs>
0: <Right>? <laughs> yeah. So That's you priority just. Straight.
1: <laughs> exactly. Right. So you just find creative ways. Right. Um, to. Um, take care of a serious problem, right? And even when um people we had different uh event sites, right? I would visit those different event sites and kind of talk to the lead, like, hey, tell me about, you know, what's going on when he gets to your location, right? And they would talk me through, you know, obviously the schedule. But then Nicholas, I would go deeper. I would say, okay, so tell me about teardown. Right? Who's gonna grab what truck? Who's gonna grab these assets? Right. So it wasn't like, well, I guess Nicholas is going to get it. Right. I know. Let's not guess if Nicholas is going to get it. Does Nicholas know he's going to get it? And what is he going to use to get it with? And so a lot of times we would talk through just those small details that for them, it was just a part of their regular routine. So it was just ingrained in them. Like, we're not just going to assume Nicholas is going to be at the airport. Hey, Nicholas, when you're at the airport, here's what we need you to grab. Right, and here's what I'm going to grab, and here's where we're going to meet up, and that's kind of just start doing that same procedure over and over and over, and it just kind of stuck.
0: Nice. It's it's being thorough. It's creating those good habits, and I think mm-hmm. one of the things that I really like most is you're providing resources for them to succeed. You know, you know what they need to be successful, and then you provide it. And I almost think that's it's almost like an underrated part of leadership, in my opinion. People need things to succeed and they want things to succeed and if you can help them have those things everybody wins and and somehow the the idea that like you said I guess I guess Nick will just pick up the stuff that's how things fall through the crack and I almost yes. think hands off yes. approach can be negative if it's too too far away right
1: absolutely and one of the things back then i had an advantage of which is again of leadership sometimes we would get these we call them trip trinkets right a presidential tie clip or um, you know something really really cool right and the trip officer right would say hey here's some stuff you can give out to team members right so for me I would find ways to reward people with those types of things. Right. So I was that leader. Like, you knew what he had because he's not going to like, OK, I'm keeping this for myself. Right. When he to give this to my <laughs> friend Nicholas when I get back home. Yeah. It was like, guys, I have five items here. Right. I'm not going to tell you what they are, but, you know, the five people that really stand out on this particular trip. When we do our last trip meeting and the truck is loaded. And we're about to order pizza. Right. I'm going to give out these five things to everybody that I believe deserved it. I'm going to get feedback from some of the other leads. Right. Not just Darrell's way. But, hey, Nicholas, who on your team you think really just busted their butt, you know, uh, did some stuff that was out of the ordinary, went above and beyond. So now I'm getting this consensus from all these leads. and, And the thing about it is the leads can't get those. Right. That's another leadership thing. It's like we cannot. It has to go to other team members. And my leads, they were okay with that because they knew what it was about. So imagine, Nicholas, the words that I was getting out, like, hey, if you're on Darrell's trip and you do well, like, he's going to give you some type of trinket, right? And you have to earn it. It's not like he's giving it to you because you grew up in Victorville and he grew up in Compton. Like, you really have to do something. So those type of things, right, the word gets out, right? So people are like, hey... I heard that you give out trinkets on trips, so I just want to let you know that I'm going to do everything I can to be in the running. So imagine that like you're on day one of a week-long trip yeah. and somebody's already telling you that I'm going to do what I can to get that trinket. it's was just amazing.
0: Yeah, positive reinforcement. It, it goes a long way. If there's a, if there's a reward for behavior, people are itching to, to get into it. I want to switch topics real quick. Sure. We're, go- sure. we're going to giving back. One of your staples of how you live your life is giving back to the community. And I want to know, tell me why giving back is so important to you. And maybe what's one of your favorite memories you've had while giving back to your community?
1: So growing up in Compton, right, I had a, um, I always have to give her props. I had a uh, typing teacher named Miss Dina Ferguson. And I always tell people, uh, besides their recruiter, uh, Miss Ferguson helped my career because she actually taught me how to type. Right. This is back in the day before computers and laptops. I know a lot of people are hearing this. It's like, what was that like? Right, It would have to be like <laughs> archaic, but it was. And she taught me how to type. And since when she taught me how to type, right, I was able to join the military, again, as a human resource of as typist. So when I had told her that I was going into the Army, uh, she kind of kept track of my career, right? And one of the things she would tell me, she would never say, if you make it, Nicholas, she would always say, when you make it, Right, if you can, I want you to find your way back to Compton because I want you to talk to my students. I need them to know that you know somebody like them sat in these same chairs, right? Were up in their same type of neighborhood and was able to accomplish some things. So that was just being in the military. Once I made it to the White House and we we're traveling and I am doing these LA trips, so I was able to come back and see her. Uh, it was just great, right? So for me, I wanted to give back because. When I was growing up in Compton, we didn't have people come to our school, right? Like I said, you know, you described it earlier. It was one of those schools where teams didn't even want to play us in sports, let alone come here and, you know, like, it, it just wasn't that type of environment. You know, we had a lot of great students and a lot of great uh, people there, but it just wasn't that place where people would come and speak. So I, I was like, if I can make it and be one of those people that I can come back and speak, then I wanted to do that. But. When I retired, I ended up staying on the East Coast, so I felt like I still had to fulfill that promise. So instead of not being able to go to Compton, I would go to schools here in Anne Arundel County, PG County, and still try to speak at career days, right, and just to inspire someone. And probably one of my greatest uh, get-back moments, um, I was a youth worker for one of the Army bases here called Fort Meade, and... I was um, responsible for working with this outside organization and we kind of put together this, I guess it was kind of like a base block party, right? Brought in a DJ, we had two guest singers and we had, and we did a panel, right? And it was like, you know, one of those panels where you ask questions about life and... My wife and I had this one young lady that was a part of our youth group. She was so sharp, Nicholas. I mean, you just just see one of those young people you're like, man, this person is going somewhere. I don't know what they're going to be when they grow up, but whatever they choose, they're going to be phenomenal because she just had that it factor. Mm -hmm. And I remember telling them about this uh, community program and I was like, hey, you know, we're going to have, you know, some guest people on this panel. But I remember going to her saying, I want you to be my youth representative. And she was like, me? I was like, yeah, you. She's like, what do I know? I'm still in school, right? Yeah. But she was so mature, right? And she would just have such a great head on her shoulders. I knew that when we got those questions from the audience, she would be able to provide some great information sharing. And at the end of the event, even though we had um, like a guest singer and a couple other people on that panel, when it was over, everybody was able to come up and say hi to the panelists. Everybody thought that the people were going to go to the singer, right? And it was, you know, nice bit. But guess what? The majority of the people went to her wow. for her autograph saying, I love how you answered the questions. I love what you brought to the panel. You are so great. And on the way home, my wife and I were taking her home and she was crying, and my wife looked back at her like, are you okay? Is something wrong? Right. Yeah. And she just basically said that she never felt that way in her life. She never knew that she had that much to offer. And she was just so grateful that the two of us would pick her out, of all the people we could have picked to be on that panel. She said that was a moment that she would never forget. And, you know, you're trying to you know, be strong when you're in the car, like, oh, you know you're good. You know you're good. But yeah. man, after we dropped her off, Trust me, me and my wife both had to take a moment because that was very um, powerful.
0: Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's that's powerful to me right now. I mean, just taking the time to see something in someone and then making a point to, you know, give them an opportunity to just do their thing. Yeah. You know, sometimes that's all it is. That's, that's pretty amazing. Darrell, before we head to the final question, okay. I want to say thank you for coming on the show. I'm so happy you came on. I think your your story is wildly powerful. I think you're a, a wonderful example of somebody that has has determination and grit and endurance and all of that stuff. But on top of that, it's how you care for people and how you treat people and lead people and putting others first for the greater good of everything. And I and I think you know a, a big big thing that stands out about your character is your willingness to to give back to other people, you know, like not forget that, Hey, all of these people along my way built me up and Mm -hmm. you know, I'm here to pay it forward to other people. I think that's a true testimony to your character. So I want to, I want to acknowledge you for that. It's awesome. Appreciate
1: that. And I definitely, you know, try to do that. Like you said, as much as I can.
0: It's awesome. Final question is, this is something I got to ask as someone as highly motivated as yourself, what's the purpose that drives you? What's the thing, what's the driving factor for you?
1: I think when it's all said and done, I think the driving factor for me is, I just remember hearing a lot of different teachings and read some books about, you know, everybody having gifts, right? And everybody having talents and everybody having a purpose. And I think one of the things that's always in the back of my mind is whenever that time comes, don't know when, but I just want it to be said that this guy No kidding. Uh, Not only did he try to, you know, take care of other people and, you know, help them maximize their potential, but he really tried to use every gift that he had, every talent that he had for good. Right. So it's like, you know, if I have a successful marriage then I want to help other people have a successful marriage. Right. If I was fortunate to be in some good leadership positions, I want to help somebody else become a great leader. Like if that's my talent and that's my gift, it's like, I don't What is it? I want to use it all up right? If yeah. I can, it's almost like you can't take it with you, right? So I want to make sure I use every bit of it. Um, and if I do that as my purpose, then I feel pretty good about, you know, you have to look back on your life and like, okay, what did you do? Who did you help? You know, right? type of impact did you have? Right? It's kind of like that thing on your tombstone. Like, what, what did that dash represent? And for me, I want that dash to represent that this guy really did use all of his talents uh, that he had as much as he could.
0: I love that. I think that's a yeah, it's a great way to, to live and go about things. Where can people connect with you online? I know you have your website, AllianceSeminars.org. Is there anywhere else that people can reach you?
1: Yeah, uh, org. Uh, we're also on on um, Facebook, right, Alliance Seminars. And then I always forget about this one, but we're actually on SpeakersHub.com, right, right? Uh, people want to bring me in as a guest speaker, right, to speak at um, a school or organization or anything like that, Uh, speakerhub.com. My site's there, and it's so funny because when people go to it, the first thing they see is these pictures with the president, like, oh, my gosh, who is this guy? (laughs) And why is he shaking hands with Vice President Cheney and President Clinton and President um, Bush 43? Like, what the heck is going on here? So I just like the fact that when people... You know, want to bring me in to speak, they see that I'm definitely going to try to bring some value. But as everybody notices, even on this show that, you know, it's never about me, but it's about how did I get here and how you can do the
0: same. Absolutely. And all the, everything you mentioned is going to be in the show notes. So everybody should go check them out. They'll be there for you. And Darrell, thank you for coming on the show. I appreciate it.
1: Nicholas, thank you for having me, man. Definitely enjoyed our time together.
0: Absolutely. I'll I'll talk to you soon that was the episode you just listened to it uploads every Friday at 6 a.m. the real reason you're still here you want to know the answer to the riddle of the week how did the hipster burn his tongue he sipped his coffee before it was cool <laughs> you know about those hipsters always always on the edge of things cutting edge I heard this new band you wouldn't know You wouldn't know Too cool. Don't forget to leave a five-star review and to share this episode with your friends. Say something nice to them. I love you, and I'm going to see you next week, okay?
1: Bye-bye.